So I was walking across campus <clears throat> with my friend, uh, and we're talking about Jesus. And I, I say to him, well, who do you think that Jesus was? After all, he knew that I was a Christian, and we were talking about church and, and Jesus and, and, and those sorts of things. And, and he said, well, I, I think that Jesus lived, but I think he was just a good teacher. And this is coming from my friend who spent a lot of time studying philosophy and that sort of thing. He was just a good teacher. The historical evidence for Jesus' life is pretty solid, especially compared to a lot of people in antiquity. And so most people don't deny that Jesus lived, but they say, well, he was a good teacher, or he was a, a, a great philosopher, or he was a good leader. But like my friend, they often don't want to acknowledge who Jesus really was and what he means for our lives. We've been studying over the last several weeks different special topics. What does the Bible say about this topic. What does the Bible say about that topic? I mean, we've talked about once saved, always saved. We, we talked last week about what does the Bible say about God, but this morning we think we're going to be talking about what does it say about Jesus? It says a lot about Jesus. We can't cover all those things, but I want us to think this morning about what it says about the person of Jesus and what that means for us. As we go down the road a little ways, we're going to then begin to look at the resurrection of Jesus and some other things along those lines. But this morning, what does it say about Jesus? Was Jesus just a good teacher? Or was there something more to Jesus? And so this morning, I want us to look at four claims about Jesus in John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, be turning to John chapter 1. We're going to look at four claims about Jesus from John chapter 1. We're going to ask the question, why is Jesus so special? And then conclude by asking ourselves the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? So let's start by looking in John chapter 1 and looking at these four claims of Jesus or about Jesus in John chapter 1. We're going to start in John chapter 1 and verse 1. The text says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not understand. John is going to claim, first of all, in, first, or in John chapter 1, that Jesus is deity. Now, in the verses that we've read, we haven't seen the connection yet between Jesus and the Word, but we're going to get there. But the important thing, as we begin looking at this, is in John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. God. And so the Word is deity. And as we look down through John, we're going to find out that John identifies Jesus as being the Word. And therefore, if the Word is deity and Jesus is the Word, then Jesus is deity. Look, for instance, at verse 14. John says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory 
as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John tells us in verse 14, after he begins this long section talking about the Word, he says in verse 14, the Word became flesh. So the Word became human, or took on the form of humanity. But we still don't know who the Word is. Notice what happens in verse 15. John, that is John the Baptist, testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And so John the Baptist says, This is who the Word is. The Word is this, this individual who existed before I did. And he has, because he existed before I did, he has a higher rank than I did. And so as we go along a little bit in the text, verse 30, John the Baptist again is speaking. We'll start in verse 29. John says, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And so now the dots are connected. In the beginning was the Word. And that Word was with God. That Word was God. But then that Word took on the form of humanity. And John the Baptist says, that's him. It's that man. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Jesus was in the beginning with God. And Jesus was God. And so Jesus is deity. The Bible makes a claim here in John chapter 1 that Jesus is God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good philosopher. He's not just a good moral man. Jesus is God. And this falls in line with other things that we know about Jesus. Uh, claims that Jesus himself made that refer to his deity. For instance, uh, in John chapter uh, 1 and, and verse 18, uh, we read, No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. Did you catch that? No one has seen God at any time. Only the begotten God who is in his bosom has seen him. John says that Jesus was in the Father's bosom, He is God. And He explains who God the Father is. The idea of God's plurality is found elsewhere in Scripture. Some of you have heard me uh, talk about this before. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, as you have those days of creation. You get to that final day of creation, day 6, uh, and God says, let us make man in our image. Say that again. God said, let us make man in our image. Some people say, oh, he was talking to angels, or he was talking to some other spiritual beings. No, because in the next verse, Genesis, Moses tells us, so God made man, male and female, in the image of God, he made them. God said, let us make man in our image. At the end of the story, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they make their little mistake. They're getting kicked out of the garden. God again says, let us throw them out of the garden because they have become like us, knowing good and evil. They become like us. God said they have become like us. There is this idea of plurality in the very beginning of Scripture, and you see it sprinkled 
throughout Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God is Elohim, which is plural. It's used 2,000 times in the Old Testament for God. And yet in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, as you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, you have this great passage talking about the oneness of God. And we miss it because none of us speaks Hebrew. But notice what Deuteronomy tells us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. If we were reading this in Hebrew, what we would say is the Lord, Yahweh, singular, is our God, Elohim, plural. The idea of the plurality, yet the oneness of God, is from the very beginning. Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. It's sometimes very difficult for us to wrap our minds around how does that happen? And yet that's a story throughout Scripture. John chapter 5, verse 18. The Pharisees understand what Jesus to be saying, to be equating himself with God. We see the same thing again. John chapter 8, verse 58, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and, and they say, uh, you ha you're not even 40 years old, and you say that you've seen Abraham? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham, I am. And they were ready to stone him. They would have if they could have. Because they understand that phrase, I am, to be a reference to God. Jesus claimed his deity. The scriptures speak of Jesus' deity. And so the word became, or the word was God. Jesus was the word. Jesus has that deity. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, also speaks of the deity of Christ. Paul speaks a couple times in the book of Colossians, his letter to that church, speaking of the deity of Christ, but he says, says it best. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, when he says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. It's the only verse in all of Scripture where the word deity in the Greek sense Greek word, is used. Some translations uh, used to translate that Godhead. But it's all the divine power. All that is Godness is in Jesus in bodily form. And we could go on. We can make reference to Hebrews chapter 1, 3, uh, which makes reference to the fact that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Uh, but the first claim as we look in John chapter 1, is that Jesus is deity. He was in the beginning with God, and he was God. But there's another claim that follows on the heels of the claim of Jesus' deity, and that is the fact that Jesus is the creator. John chapter 1, verse 3 again says, All things came into being, uh, came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. So everything that exists exists because Jesus made it exist. And John even uses a little bit of a tongue twister uh, to say nothing exists that he hasn't made. If he didn't make it, it doesn't exist. There's a lot of things I haven't made, but they still exist. 
my breakfast this morning existed, but I did not make it. Probably my lunch, dinner, same thing, right? But they existed. But John says there's nothing that exists that God, that Jesus, did not create. Now, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, tells us something very similar, that by him all things came into existence. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, says that through Jesus, God made the universe, meaning Jesus was the agent by, by whom he created the universe. So he is deity, first claim, second claim, he is the creator. But then Jesus became flesh. We've already looked at this, but look at it again. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of truth, or full of grace and truth. Jesus took on flesh, and He walked among us, and He lived life in humanity. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, or verse 9, rather. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul says, Have the same attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but in emptying himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made, or being found made in the appearance of a man, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. But you see, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, meaning something to be held on to. He was still God, as we saw in Colossians chapter 2.9. But he was willing to take on the form of humanity. What does that mean? They took on the form of humanity. That he had skin like you and I, but he could do no wrong, that uh, he wasn't subject to temptation, that he didn't have any hurts or pains. Well, that's not what we see of Jesus in Scripture. He shared our humanity. Look in Hebrews chapter 2. We'll spend a couple of verses here in the book of Hebrews. But Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. The Hebrew writer says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. Look at verse 18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus took on the form of humanity because he had to participate. He had to share in what it was to be human. To, what it, to, to know what it was to suffer. And folks, he suffered a lot more than most of us ever will by suffering the death on the cross so that he could show God's power over death. But that's not all that he shared in our humanity. Still in Hebrews, we turn over a page or two to chapter 4 and verse 14. There the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest... Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. 
Jesus faced temptation. Every type of temptation that a person can face, Jesus has faced that. Jesus thought about it. If you don't think about it. Can you imagine having the power of God at your disposal and somebody just really gets under your skin? What would you do with that power of God? And yet he had compassion and patience and didn't use that. What was it like to be in the wilderness for 40 days and not eat anything? And Satan say, you know what? You've got the power of God to just turn these stones into bread. Folks, I'm turning it into Cinnabon cinnamon rolls. That's what I'm turning it into, right? He shared our humanity. When Jesus goes to Lazarus' tomb and he sees all the crowd there and they're crying, what does Jesus do? He weeps because he felt what it is to be human and to see people that you love hurting and in pain because someone they loved has died. He knows that feeling because he shared our humanity. When Jesus is going just a few days before his death, he tells his disciples, my soul has been deeply grieved. He knows what it feels like to anticipate something horrible that's about to happen. Only his anticipation was knowing exactly what it was going to be. Jesus got tired. Jesus had to go up on mountains by himself to get away from folks so that he could pray, so he could have some alone time. Jesus knew what it, was, what it felt like to be exhausted. Jesus shared our humanity, even though he was God. So he was deity. He's our creator. He was in the flesh. But the fourth claim that we see in John chapter 1, as we come back to John chapter 1, is that Jesus came for a specific mission. And a specific mission was to take away the sin of the world. Notice what John the Baptist says about Jesus, as recorded by John the Apostle. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Jesus came for, was ultimately to take away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, we read in verse 6 of the same chapter, we're introduced to John the Baptist. There came a man sent by God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Jesus' mission was to come and to take away the sin in the world and to show light as to who is God the Father. But to come and die. When Jesus is about to go and, and be with his apostles for the last few hours of his life, 
And he makes that same, my soul has become deeply grieved. He says it there in John chapter 12. He tells his disciples, he says, but what shall I say? Father, take me from this hour. For this very hour I came into this world. Jesus came to take away our sins. And to do so by giving his life. And he knew that was his mission. And he knew that's what he had to do. And so those are the four claims that we see in John chapter 1. And so what would you tell someone like my friend who says that Jesus was just a good man? Why was Jesus so special? Perhaps it's just enough to quote those claims about Jesus. But there's something more. Can we really fathom what it is like to be God and come to this earth in the flesh? Seeing sin, seeing human suffering, seeing hopelessness, to experience temptation and desires and suffering, to put up with personality differences, office politics, and to see all those things, and you're going to die for those people? But you also see the joys. Babies being born. The good things that happen in life. You get to see it when Peter and James and John and, and others, they finally get it. Those aha moments in life. You get to see all those things. But what does all this say about Jesus? First, it speaks of his compassion, his love, his concern, his care. As God, as creator, he was willing to go to great lengths, coming in the flesh with all its limitations, with all of its emotions, with all of its pain, to die a very real death in our stead. All while, we, while he, as creator, watched his creation abandon him, choosing to do their own thing. Remember what it said? He came to his own, but his own did not receive him and yet still be willing to die to separate us from sin. He does not want His creation to perish, but wants us to have a relationship with Him. I like the old song, I want you to want me. I love you to love me. That's what Jesus wants. He could have created us, forced, or programmed to follow Him. And to have no choice. But he made us so that we could understand his love and his concern for us and could choose to act on it. And he demonstrated his love for us by going to the great lengths he endured to allow us to have that pathway to come back to him. And so what do we do with Jesus? How do we respond to Jesus? If you believe that the Bible is the word of God and that the Bible says that he is God. What will you do with what you have learned about him? Will you dismiss him? Ignore him? He came in the flesh to feel what you feel, to see what you see, to, to have the anguish that you hang, have, to have the sorrow that you have, but also to be able to enjoy the hope that you now have. And he did it to die so that you might live. Can you easily turn your back on that? Will you tell him that you'll get back to him? I'll, I'll get back to you in a few days. He was willing to wear skin and bones like you and me just to have that skin, that skin ripped open by the nails of the cross 
Is it asking him too much to give him an answer? How many times have we said that we'll get back to someone and we never have? Will we do the same thing with Christ, with Jesus? Will you keep on living apart from Jesus, ignoring what he's done? Has anyone done so much to show you their love for you as Jesus has? When was the last time that someone was not only willing to walk by your side, but to do so carrying the very cross upon which he would die in your place? That's what Jesus did. Will you accept Jesus as your creator, as your God, as your savior, as your friend, as your brother? He's inviting you to be all of those things or inviting you to enjoy His presence as all of those things. The life is great. Put away the things of the world and enjoy the blessings of this world and the next. He's asking you to come into a relationship that fulfills and lasts forever. The Bible claims Jesus was more than a good man. He was more than a good teacher. He's God. As God, He is the Creator. As God, He came in the flesh. And as God in the flesh, He came to die to save creation. He has proven that He is truly loving, caring, and compassionate. How will you respond to Jesus? If you're here this morning and you need to be united with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, we invite you to come. If you have other needs of the church that you, uh, or other needs that you want the church to be aware of that we can help you with, whatever they are, please make them known. As together, we stand and sing.